0: Well, good morning church. Grab a seat if you don't already have one. Welcome everybody online again. My name is Johnny. If you don't know me, well now you do. I am the family ministry director here at Vintage. Been on staff for coming up on three years and I'm delighted to get to bring the word this morning. How are we doing on this beautiful Mother's Day? Good? Strong? Mother's in the house. Man, you guys are amazing. Um, Hello to my mom if she's watching. I I doubt she's watching again. She watched the 9 a.m. So if you're watching again, you really are a hero. Um, And to my own wife, mom of three, you're incredible. This morning... We're gonna dig into the word. We are going through a series in the book of Acts, and last week, if you were here last week or you heard the message last week, Gare preached on the kingdoms of heaven and earth, and how heaven overlaps and interlocks with the kingdom of earth, and that we, as His people, are kind of portals into heaven, and that when people encounter and meet us, they get a window into heaven and an encounter with heaven through our lives. The theology of it was mind blowing. If you haven't seen it or or heard it, man. Leave now and go, you know, it's better than what I'm going to do. Go listen to what he did last week, it was incredible. Um, but I do want to follow on from that this morning as we go through the book of Acts. If we are portals into heaven, if we are pictures of heaven on earth that people can encounter, I want to step into, well, what are the next steps from there? What are the practical things that the people of God are supposed to do to impact our city? So maybe you consider yourself part of the people of God. You consider yourself part of the church. Man, then I hope you're excited to hear this. If you are visiting, if you don't know Jesus, if you're just checking church out, then you get to see a window into what we believe. And you maybe get to encounter God's love this morning. I think if we're going to impact a city, first what needs to happen is I believe that this morning God wants to awaken his church to go and do it. We cannot, by our own willpower, rush out there and try and change the world. But I think that God is wanting to awaken his church this morning. And the way that God will awaken his church is he wants you to have an encounter with his love and with his presence and with his goodness. This morning, it's Mother's Day, and I was reminded of, I've had the privilege of being at three births, the three births of my kids if you've ever been at a birth, there is nothing like it on the planet. It is a privileged experience to get to be in the room when a new life is born. And in those, you get to see this, the most melting, heart-melting moment in the world is the first moments when a baby is born, and they'll pick up the baby, and they'll put the baby on the mom's chest. And you get to see a baby in its first breaths of life encountering a mother's love and they might not be aware of it, but it is a moment of such pure love. It shifts. If you see, I have the privilege to see it, you know. I believe that that is what God wants to do with us this morning. I believe that God has you here for a reason because he wants you to encounter his love. Like a newborn baby pulled out, of the, pulled out and then placed on his, the mother's chest, God wants to take your life and have you have an encounter with his love. So for that, Let's read Acts chapter 16. This is the series we're going through, looking at stories in the book of Acts. Acts 16, verse 16. We're going to start. It's going to be on the screen. If you've got a Bible, you've got a short amount of time to get to it, and I'm going to read it. It says this, as we were going to the place of prayer, we were met by a slave girl who had a spirit of divination and brought her owners much gain by fortune telling. She followed Paul and us, crying out, These men are servants of the Most High God, who proclaim to you the way of salvation. And this she kept doing for many days. Having become greatly annoyed, <laughs> turning turned and said to the Spirit, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And the Spirit came out that very hour. One of the most casual exorcisms you will ever read about. Them with rods. When they had inflicted many blows upon them, they threw them into prison, ordering the jailer to keep them safely. Having received this order, he put them into the inner prison and fastened their feet in the stocks. About midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the prisoners were listening to them. for we are all here. The jailer called for lights and rushed in and trembling with fear, he fell down before Paul and Silas and he brought them out and said, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? They said, Believe in the Lord Jesus and you will be saved, you and your household. And they spoke the word of the Lord to him and to all who were in his house. He took them the same hour of the night, washed their wounds, and he was baptized at once, he and all his family. Then he brought them up into his house and set food before them, and he rejoiced along with his entire household that he had believed in God. This is one of my favorite passages of Scripture. I think I've preached on it probably 20 times. I've probably preached a different message out of this passage 20 different times. There is so much rich content here. But the first thing I want to focus on is this. Paul, Silas, they're in The city of Philippi. This is where Paul later writes the letter to the Philippians. They're in the city of Philippi, and I don't know if you picked up on this. It's a pretty messed up, broken city. They have an economy that seems to be propped up on demon-possessed enslaved women. If you're looking for clues of whether a city is healthy or not, this is a clue that it is not healthy. It's pretty messed up, the situation that they walk into. This is a broken city. The Better Business Bureau would have a field day going into the city, seeing the kind of things that are going on. Yet, in this broken city, the people of God have arrived. And the city starts to be transformed from the bottom up. Paul and Silas show up with their followers, and it's the demon-possessed enslaved women who get breakthrough first. And then it's the prisoners in jail, and then it's the jailer himself who holds the keys to the prison. A city starts to get impacted by the power of God when the people of God show up in that city. And you better believe it's a broken city. Now, I live in L.A. Most of you probably, unless you're visiting from out of town, live in L.A. This is a broken city. Now, I'm not saying we got an economy propped up on demon-possessed enslaved women. I sure hope not. I don't know if we go that far, but man, L.A. is a broken city. It's a city that I love, but it's a city that is broken. I moved here with my wife 10 years ago. We met in Oklahoma, got married in Oklahoma, lived there for a year while we were in university, while we were in college, and then as we were coming to our end of our time in Oklahoma, we said to each other, where do we want to live? A number one on the list. Southern California, LA, that's where we want to be. We were stoked. And I ended up getting a job. I was offered a job to move out here, incredibly blessed. And we said to our friends, oh, the dream's come true. We're moving to LA, to which almost everybody we talked to responded with, that's a tough tough assignment. We will pray for you. I'm like, pray for me? I'm going to be on the beach. You're going to be still in Oklahoma. What do you mean pray for me? I'm living the dream. But the response from them was, what a hard place to go and preach the gospel. What a hard place for God to move. What a broken place that you're going to. Man, stay in God's country here in Oklahoma. And I love Oklahoma. I would live there in a heartbeat. I really genuinely, it's, it's amazing. But man, L.A. Is, is a broken city, but it is not more broken than other cities. This is, this, there's a, some kind of lie, I think, that people have believed of like LA is like the epicenter of brokenness. And I'm like, maybe just because we have more people, you know, and people are broken. See, so the more people you get together, the more brokenness you have. But in my experience, I grew up in England. I've lived in Arizona and Oklahoma, and I've lived here. I don't think it's more broken here than anywhere else. It is broken, but it is a beautiful city full of beautiful people. And God wants to move in this city. You think God's not going to move in the city of angels? Are we crazy here? Am I nuts for having faith that God is like, it's not difficult for him to transform LA? I walk the streets of LA and I know that in this city, there is more history of spiritual transformation and revival than just about any other city on earth. So man, we got a broken city, but oof, I'm ready for God to move. And I think that God is going to move through his church and through his people. If you consider yourself part of the people of God, man, get ready. If you consider yourself just visiting, checking this out, you're not so sure about Jesus, (laughs) get ready. God might do something incredible this morning in your life. So how do we do it? If we're going to impact the city, if God is going to move in L.A., if we're going to see the things happen in the city of Philippi happen here, where stuff gets flipped on its head, people get set free and transformed, people give their lives to Jesus and go to rejoicing in the middle of the night with their family, well, what do we do? What's the next steps? If you're taking notes, I'm going to have two points, two big things that I think we see in this passage for us that model how we're supposed to live. The first is this. Your city needs you to be in love with Jesus. Your city needs you to be in love with Jesus. Paul and Silas have a day of all days. (laughs) They show up in a city just to do the Lord's work. They get religiously persecuted. They have a citizen's arrest, (laughs) brought unlawfully before magistrates, unlawfully um, imprisoned, beaten, stripped of their clothes, and then thrown into the most maximum security part of the prison they're put in, right? They're put in the center of the prison. This is like, yo, for the most dangerous prisoners. They have the day of all days. I think it is an understatement to say they have every reason to be in a bad mood. Yet, where do we find them? In the middle of the night, in the middle of a prison, worshiping, singing, praying and giving thanks because Paul and Silas have had an encounter with the love of God and they are now living out of response to their encounter of how much God loves them. And so no matter how bad of a day they have, they're so madly in love with Jesus that they have no other option. But man, Paul, Silas, you feel like singing? You know I do. And in the middle of the night, they are in love with God and loving him passionately. And what happens is that everyone around them pays attention. Did you pick up in this in the passage? That as they worship and as they pray, it says all of the prisoners listened. And then from there, an earthquake rolls through and all the doors are opened and everyone's chains are broken. The people of God, loving God and living in response to a revelation of his love, has power... Not only to make people pay attention, for, but for their lives to be transformed too. People are literally, in this passage, freed by the love that Paul and Silas have for God. We cannot underestimate the power of a person living in response to the revelation of Jesus Christ's love. We cannot underestimate it. The power of someone in love with God is not to be under. Estimated, That's point number one. You want to impact your city? Your city needs you in love with Jesus. Number two, number two, your city also needs you to live differently than they expect. Your city needs you to live differently than they expect. As Paul and Silas worship, all their peers, all their prisoners are impacted. I love this story because Jesus talks a lot about prison ministry, They were called through prison ministry. Paul and Silas take prison ministry so seriously, they become criminals to get into the prisons. It's amazing. As they worship, their peers, their newfound peers, are impacted just by their love of God. The jailer is not impacted by their love of God. He's not impacted by their worship. His life isn't transformed by their prayers. He doesn't hear their hymns and get set free. The jailer goes from suicidal to living in eternal life. The jailer goes from absolute hopelessness to rejoicing with his entire household in a moment because of the actions of kindness shown by Paul and Silas when they had no reason to be kind. The jailer's not impacted by just their love overflowing, their impact, he's impacted by their actual actions of supernatural love and kindness towards him. You've got to notice here, Paul and Silas, this is not a normal reaction. This idea of the jailer, you've got to think, he is the embodiment of their oppression. He is literally the man who locked them in the prison. In every sense, he is the figurehead of the enemy. He is the person actively persecuting them the most in this moment. Any normal person is leading a prison riot right at that moment. I mean, think about it. If, If it was you there, right, you've been persecuted for your faith, wrongly imprisoned, beaten, but there you are still worshiping. And as you're worshiping, God has the doors blow open and the chains break off. Every sign points to jailbreak, we're out of here, boys, right? Every sign says, let's get out of here. Yet Paul and Silas stay. Even though the chains are off, even though God has blown open the doors, they stay so that they can show a supernatural level of love and kindness to a person they have no reason to love or be kind to. The jailer is literally about to take his own life, which would solve a lot of Paul and Silas' problems. Yet, Paul cries out, Do not harm yourself. We're right here. They have compassion for him. They have love for him. They understand his job and what might happen if they were to leave. They care for his actual life, and so they stay, and his life is then radically transformed as he encounters their love for him. And in that moment, he realizes the fullness of the gospel. His entire family gets impacted and gets saved. Generations are going to be shifted for a family in the broken city of Philippi because of the actions of supernatural love and kindness that Paul and Silas endeavor. How do they do it? If I was there, I wouldn't want to do this. I'd be running out there swinging chains around my head like ready to go. I'd be leading the riot, thinking it's the Lord's work. How do they do it? How do the fruits... Of God's Spirit pour out of their lives. Galatians 5 talks about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. The fruits of the Spirit, which is what we see pouring out of Paul and Silas's lives. How do they have that reaction and not a reaction of vengeance or like, let's get out of here? How do the fruits of the Spirit pour out of their lives? I think it is because Paul and Silas are connected to the source of peace and love and patience and goodness and joy. They are connected to the one who is the source of all those things. About seven years ago, May 14th, 2014, my wife gave birth to our first child. So we're coming up, we got a six-year-old who's ready for a seventh birthday coming up this week. If you know anything about our family, we have three kids. We have a six-year-old, a four-year-old, and a one-year-old. All three of our kids were born in our living room. Yes, we're that family, the home birth family. That's us. Um, my wife came to me when we got pregnant. She said, I want to do home births. And I said, whatever you want. I'm, you have all the opinions here. I will follow you when it comes to giving birth. And so we decided to do some home births. And um, the home birth we chose to do was going to be a water birth. And so for that, if you've never done one, <laughs> I don't know if you have. I've been at three. You set up an inflatable pool in your living room which you need to fill with water, and then when labor comes and pushing starts, the baby's born into the water. It's very safe, nice transition for the baby, and you have your baby right at home. But you've got a pool that needs to be filled with water, which means you need to get about a 50, 60-foot hose to run from your shower. You take your shower head off, you attach it to the shower, you run a hose through your house, and you fill a pool. Didn't all go to plan. (coughs) The night before, so May thirteenth, 2014, I kid you not, my wife's water breaks on the curb at LAX. Now, that's another story. From there, we call the midwife. It's a good story, too. We call the midwife. Yo, water just broke, and she's all calm. She's like, don't worry about it. We need to wait for contractions to start. Just go home. You just chill. Maybe go try and go to sleep. We'll see when contractions start. Give me another call, and I'll come by. Get everything ready. We're like, got it. We go home. Contractions don't start, so we go to sleep. Wake up in the morning, May 14th. Baby's going to come today. Very excited. No contractions still. Uh, we've read the books, right? We've all, I've read all the books. I've never had a baby before at that time. We've never had a baby. Never done this before, but I've read the books. And the book said, hey, you start with early labor, and that's going to be a few hours. And contractions are going to increase in intensity. That means pain. And they're going <laughs> to increase in the, the time between them is going to get shorter and shorter and shorter. And once the contractions get intense enough and short enough, you'll be in active labor. Time to start pushing. Baby's going to come. Awesome. That's what I'm going off of. We're waiting for contractions to start. They don't start. We go to Chick-fil-A for lunch. We come back. We're chilling in the house. This is, this is how home births work. Finally, late afternoon, first contraction happens. And in my wife's words, she used different words in this, but it was a little bit more intense than she was anticipating. And I, but I was all excited. I'm like, okay, I don't know. Let's start to time these contractions, right? And I'm expecting going to be 20 minutes that this timer is going to be running contraction happens, start the timer, waiting for the next one. One minute later, contraction number two hits, and it's already more intense than the first. Oh, snap. We messed up. (laughs) I did not get the pool ready. I have not filled it. I've not attached the hose, and I now have one-minute windows... (laughs) One-minute windows. During contractions, my job is pain reliever. I got to do whatever my wife tells me. I'm squeezing her hips. I'm applying pressure. I'm doing massages, all that stuff to try and relieve pain. And then in between contractions, I need to unscrew a shower head, screw on a hose, turn on the tap, run a hose to the pool, have that not spill all over the living room, and fill up a pool so that we can actually have this baby. Midwives are on the way. Contraction happens. I'm applying pressure. We get the one-minute break. I run into the bathroom and madly unscrew a shower head, try and screw on a hose, and in my panic, I don't have the hose quite right, and I turn on the water. I don't know if you've ever seen like a, uh, like a war movie, like a World War II movie, where someone's like artery like explodes. This was the pressure of the water. Once I turn on the hose, it's not lined up, and it just sprays out of the top at the highest velocity, the highest pressure, ceilings, the walls, it's blasting everywhere. And as water's blasting, I have uh, electrical tape to try and get a watertight seal. And I'm like tying that like a tourniquet trying to get it ready. When my wife yells at me from the living room, hey, another contraction's coming. You haven't lived, all right? You don't know excitement until you are in an exploding bathroom while a woman in labor is yelling at you from another room. It knows that's a high adrenaline moment, and in those moments, you don't think straight. And so instead of turning off the water and, you know, running over there to help her, I just leave that water running. I run over there. She's like, why are you all wet? I'm like, don't worry about it. And I'm applying pressure. I'm doing what I'm doing, and I'm looking back toward the bathroom, which is a disaster. And water is literally spraying into the hallway, and I see the hose. The pressure is so high that the hose eventually falls off. It is held on by electrical tape, and the water is pouring then into the bathtub, and still no water is filling up my birthing pool. Eventually, the midwives arrive. We get the hose hooked up. We fill up the tub. Jensen, our daughter, is born about an hour later. is amazing. Um, Home births are the best. (laughs) Any way that a baby's born is incredible. I loved our home births. I tell you this story. Number one, because I want it to stick in your head. It's a visceral story. But number two, I think there is a valid and huge point in this for us. For the home birth, I needed a pool full of water in the living room. The source of water was in the bathroom and I needed to have a hose to be the means by which I get the, the source of water to where I need it to go. Our city, the city of LA, needs the love of God. Our city needs his joy. It needs his blessing. It needs the fruits of the Spirit poured out on our city. And your life is the means by which he is going to do it. You are the conduit between his presence to his city. He wants to use your life to impact LA. And you cannot, by your own willpower, pour out love on LA if your life is not connected to his presence. If you are not hooked up to the source, the God of love, how can we possibly expect to fill up our city with love? We're standing here on our own willpower with a hose into a pool that's not connected on the other end. Jesus talks about this. If you don't believe me, John 15, verses 4 through 5, Jesus speaks and he says this to his disciples, Abide in me and I in you as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Francis Chan writes about it in his book, Forgotten God. He says this, I don't know about you, but I cannot simply muster up more love. I cannot manufacture patience just by gritting my teeth and determining to be more patient. We are not strong enough or good enough, and it doesn't work that way. None of us can do goodness on our own, much less all the other elements that make up the fruit of the Spirit. But despite our inability to change ourselves in this way, to simply become more peaceful or joyful, we expend a great deal of effort trying. Instead of mustering up more willpower, let's focus our energies and time on asking for help from the one who has the power to change us. Let's take the time to ask God to put the fruit of his spirit into our lives and let's spend time with the one we want to be more like. I think there are many of us in this room that we're trying to be good. We're trying to love our city. We're trying to love our spouses. We're trying to have patience for our kids. We're trying to do the right thing. We're trying to be light in the darkness. We're trying to be good people. And man, our willpower, it's not enough. We actually need our lives to be connected to the source of love and have an encounter with that love. If you're a part of the body of Christ, you already consider yourself a follower of Jesus. You need to make sure that your life is actually connected to His. And out of that will flow the fruit of the Spirit. If you don't know Jesus in this room, maybe you've spent your whole life trying to muster up enough strength to be good. And what you really need is an encounter with the one who loves you. And from that, life will start to flow. There are neighborhoods that need people in them who love God and are living in response to a revelation of his love. We need cities. We need schools. We need neighborhoods. We need apartment buildings. We need workplaces. We need people in office cubicles who love God and are living in response to his love. This morning, I think God wants to encounter us with His love so that we are changed and so that we can then go out into our city and love it how He loves it. Will you guys stand with me? I'm going to invite the band to come back up. We're going to spend some time in worship. And as we worship God, just how Paul and Silas worship God, out of that, I think God's presence will flow. And things will start to change. So right now, I want, what I want to do is invite God to show up and reveal himself. I want to invite him to pour out his love on us. I think that some of us are going to have encounters with God's love today like a child encounters a mother's love in the moments that it's born. So if you want to, take like a moment. You could extend your hands out in front of you as a way of saying, hey, God, I'm open. I want to receive your love. I want to encounter your love. I want to live in response to it. If you're not there, no worries. I'm going to pray and ask God to move. He's already in the room. He's already here. He already loves us. He doesn't need his arm twisting. He doesn't need to be convinced. Just needs to be invited. So Lord, pray that your presence would fill this room. And Lord, I pray that your love would fill our hearts. Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you come in this place? God, we seek to connect our lives to your presence. So Holy Spirit, would you come? Would you show us how much you love us? Would you reveal to us your joy over us? God, would you draw us close that we could know your love? Thank you, God. Thank you, Jesus. We thank you, Jesus, for your love. You died on a cross that we might know you, we might live. Yes, God. Thank you, Jesus. So God, we worship you now. We ask that you continue to encounter us, continue to pour out your presence and transform us from the inside out in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Let's worship.